Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 11, 2018, and this is episode 241. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. On this week's show, we'll grab the limbo stick and we'll find out just how low this season can go. And after that, we'll play a little either or in Fantasy Boss. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what's on your lips this week? Jake, I've got some uh, leftover beef eaters and uh, some uh, Sierra Mist on top of it. Um, yeah, I remember why I stopped drinking this after college. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't recommend beef eaters to anyone. Yeah. Uh, I had a choice to make, Scotty. Got a choice. I had to decide whether or not I was going to finish off my loose cannon with dinner or preserve it here for the show. I see no loose cannon. So I am drinking a a Dead Rise Summer Ale at the moment. A fine selection left over from last week because I... I'm surprised it's not a Corona Premium. I couldn't help myself. No, I was fresh out of ice cubes. Um, If you are wondering what we are drinking throughout the week, please come drink socially with us on Untapped. We'd love to hear from you. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And Scotty, I think there might be a little news. That's right, it's the Manny Machado watch. And Jake, big news today. Manny is not in the lineup. And that clearly means he's been traded. Or he has a terminal illness. Or that an asteroid is going to hit the Earth. Or he's just out there getting another tattoo of his wife on his arm. I think all of those things are true at once. Was it fair for Birdland to react the way they did when Manny Machado was listed as not being in the lineup today? Absolutely. This is, there's no issue with this over. This is just like... You know, this is just like the 1950s and 60s where, you know, there was a fallout drill. And you I'm basically would get underneath you your desk, desk <laughs> and you basically would basically grab your ankles <laughs> and uh, pray for safety, basically. <laughs> this is a To be fair, it, it's, it's really not any different than current situations within school, elementary schools right now either. <laughs> so this is a fallout drill. Of course. This is a fallout drill. All right. I like, I like where <laughs> you're going with this. Basically, you're, we're testing our own emotional fortitude based on what happened today and comparing it against what may happen in the future. Right. Exactly. I mean, you, you know, back in the 1950s and 60s, you know, we were, we were afraid of the commies. Um, now we're afraid of the evil empire potentially coming and snatching away Manny Machado. I like what I'm hearing there, Scotty. Yeah. So the Manny Machado watch, it's, it's, of course, we effect. have no issue with Russians now. Of course not. We're, we're buddy, buddy. Of course not. Yeah. Hey. Or North Korea. I'm going to get in trouble if you keep going. Oh, sorry. I didn't put a five-second break in there. (laughs) Why don't don't we move on to this week on the Twitters and find out what's happening in the world of Orioles baseball 280 characters at a time. Do we have to? I think we do. This first tweet comes to us from Rockabaco, who, of course, tweets at Mass and Rock Tillman could report to Aberdeen next week. Beckham expected off DL when eligible on the 23rd. Hashtag Orioles. Scotty, that's good news. This is excellent news, because I can tell you there are a ton of potholes between Aberdeen, Maryland, and Baltimore. That is true. There is a lot of potholes. Um, Let's see. Next tweet is going to go into the category of not really a concern these days. Uh, This comes from Britt Droley. You can follow her at Britt underscore Droley. Britton will pitch tonight or tomorrow. Buck said in a perfect world, he liked the first outing to not be a save. Jake, why is Zach Britton not starting this game? That's a good question. I don't know. Everyone had negative things to say about the the Rays doing that. And you know what? I don't think there's any reason why Zach Britton shouldn't be showcased through a start. 
Now, Zach Britton did come on to the roster today at the expense of Colby Rasmus, who was moved to the 60-day DL. So, uh, Jake, how concerned are you about Colby Rasmus being moved to the 60-day DL? I'm not concerned even a little bit. Okay. Uh, next, I want to cover a tweet that comes to us from Beyond the Box Score, and it asks the question, why can't we have nice things? This is a tweet from Beyond the Box Score, who, of course, tweet at BTB Score. This is a reaction to a uh, Bleacher Report report saying that Otani, quote-unquote, probably needs Tommy Don Tommy John surgery for a UCL sprain. I like Tommy Don better. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Tommy Don, totally different surgery. Yes. But the tweet goes as follows, immediately goes back to bed. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how we all felt that day. Jake, there's one thing that will redeem this 2018 season. And this comes from Brian Ortel at Bugsy is white. Uh, you can hang tweets as follows. Uh, so which position player pitches today? And this is a response to us is saying the Orioles are going to spend the next 99 games just getting some work in. Ain't baseball great. So, Jake, I asked you this question. Which position player is going to get their work in? I don't know, but I, I can tell you who I wanted to be. Sure. I desperately wanted to be Mark Trumbo. Mm, no, it's not going to happen. The thing is about Mark Trumbo is that he would clearly hate it. Yep. He would be really pissy about it. Yep. And I think he would be goofy about it. All right. So, Jake, I've given a list a lot of thought. And clearly. ever since Ryan Flaherty has yeah. left the team, I've been thinking to myself, what can we do in order to get a position player out there that could be pretty decent? And there is one obvious answer. Okay. Chris Davis. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Why not take a negative in terms of offense and say, let's go ahead and put you out there as a pitcher and see what you can do. Let's Michael Givens him and um, let's turn him into a relief pitcher and just say, Chris, just go out there. You can't be any worse than Pedro Rojo. Uh, just get out there and, and pitch as best you can. Scotty, you're being positive about this. Yes. And you're trying to apply logic. Yes. Let me let me take this on a darker turn. Sure. Okay, this is where things get ugly. Okay. Let's play this out to its full conclusion. Right. Chris Davis is not a pitcher. Sure. So if we throw him out there to mm -hmm. pitch, there's a good chance he might get hurt. Mm. At that point, $17 million a year mm. gets paid out by insurance. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Uh, what's the negative here? Oh, I don't think there is a negative. Okay, I okay. just think it's dark uh, planning for an injury. That's all. Look, the only way we're getting our money back is via insurance mm -hmm. or to Ruben Judge. <laughs> I think we should go for the latter. Yes. And while we're talking, I know about a guy that who can help us. <laughs> he I, may need a few beers, maybe some red stripes. You mentioned Pedro Araujo. Araujo. And uh, he. I'm really, sure I butchered that, but who really cares? Dude, butcher away. Yeah. Uh, it won't matter soon. When we talk about Rule 5 pitchers, we have to talk about our good friend, Nestor Cortez Jr. Yeah. And a listener did just that. This is, is it Cortez or Cortez? I believe it's... I don't know. I think Who it's Cortez. I don't know. I'm probably butchering that. Yeah. Uh, Michael Huntley, who tweets at MikeHuntley63, responded to a picture that we posted of someone standing in the rain and said, nice gif of Nestor Cortez. Can we back up a second here? Mm. Do you know who that is standing in the rain? Uh, Tenant. Uh, Michael Tennant, Daniel Tennant, David, David. I was close. David Tennant. Uh, he was in Doctor Who. There you go. That's Doctor Who. He also starred in a BBC production of Hamlet. Oh, there you go. That's the only oh, thing I've good. seen him in. So you've seen uh, a version of Hamlet on the BBC. Yes, but you haven't seen Rocky. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome to Bird's Eye View. <laughs> Send hate mail to Jake at birdseyeviewbaltimore dot com. Patrick Stewart was also in that version. Well, there you go. well now I know why you watched it. <laughs> 
Uh, that's all we got for this week on the Twitters. Please tell us what Shakespearean Orioles connection you have. No, wait a minute. Wait, we need no. that shtick for later. That's going to be August shtick. Yes. Um, yeah, I can't wait for our Orioles Macbeth. It's going to be amazing. All right. Um, this show truly has hit rock bottom now since we're talking about Orioles and Shakespeare in the same category. Jake, why don't we go ahead and talk about uh, at what point did the Orioles hit rock bottom in your lifetime? We all keep looking for that rock bottom. When? When will the Orioles hit it? It seems impossible, but every time we assume that the Orioles cannot get any worse, here in 2018, they exceed our expectations. And expectations, that's really what's key here. By the end of the season, this might be the worst Orioles team we have ever seen in terms of win-loss record. The worst we've seen in franchise history. But that is not what we thought that we were getting. This 2018 team is a watered-down version of the watered-down version of the 2016 team that snuck into the playoffs. Even if you weren't delusional enough to have convinced yourself that this was a contending team this year, you weren't expecting a team that would be this bad. You were expecting something that would bring up the rear in the middle of the pack. In short, we were expecting meh to below average. We weren't expecting a black hole of Dark Ages. So Birdland, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you about what uh, rock bottom might be this season. Maybe we'll find out after Manny's traded. Maybe we'll find out with a magnificent blowout. Maybe it'll be an injury to a player having a decent season. Maybe it will be a prospect called up who fails so spectacularly that it proves that the cupboard is far more bare than we thought. Who knows what new and interesting ways the Orioles will find to test our fandom. But that brings us to the fans. And let's face it, there are a lot of folks out there who are jumping ship. Get ready to see more Yankees and Red Sox quote-unquote fans about. Like cockroaches, they run from the light. But now that the darkness has returned, they'll scamper out from their hiding places to gross us out. But for those of us who remain, we ask you this. What is your Orioles fan rock-bottom moment? And I mean real rock bottom. Well, we asked for some input from the Orioles Twitter community, and boy howdy, did they respond. Scotty, do you have the time? I mean, can we just roll through some of these? I mean, we got a lot of good Orioles baseball. You know what? Let's go ahead and take the time. (laughs) All right. I want to start with a tweet from (laughs) Lila Shapiro-Seer, who obviously great Orioles fans, a fantastic follow. Make sure that you're, uh, you're paying attention to that. We asked, what was your rock bottom moment? And she said, for this year? Turning on the radio Saturday afternoon and hearing the game was on. I had no idea they were playing a day game. I can't remember the last time I didn't know when they were playing. I think this one was interesting because the thing is, is that caring deeply is one thing. But when you slip into apathy and then realize it, dude, that's awful. Sure. And I think, you know... You can look at the TV ratings that have come out for the Orioles and um, compare it to previous seasons. And um, we're back in dark ages in terms of fans caring about watching every single game. 
Um, Mastin may encourage us to be there, <laughs> but we have certainly checked out at this point. Yeah, we're not. Um, here's, here's another good one. And I love this one, though I disagree. And I'm curious about how you feel about it. This comes from a Tyler Young at underscore Ty Young. The Orioles magic video with Kevin Millar. You know that queasy feeling you get when you're embarrassed for someone else? That does it for me. I love the description, uh, but I can't get on board with the hate. Where do you stand on 2007's uh, Orioles Magic? Eh, it's 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 a. I wouldn't say it's a low mark. It's more of a say. It's like a throwback to the time, like uniform game, or like even a holiday uniform game. It's like there's a lot of bad moments in there, and it's not really well done. But I mean, it was Dark Ages baseball, so of course it wasn't going to be very well done. Um, yeah, it's not a low moment for me for Baltimore Orioles Magic, though. I just thought it was an awesome response. Yeah. Like, like, I hadn't even considered that. Um, this next one comes from Dan Hegarty, uh, and his rock moment uh, moment was um, looking back at what I was excited to be as a child Orioles. Blah, blah, blah. Looking back at what I was excited about as a child Orioles fan, he was excited about Jay Gibbons, Daniel Cabrera, and Tim Raines Juniors. Um, yeah, that's quite the trifecta of individuals. Uh, I certainly don't know if I was excited about any of those players. Daniel Cabrera, I thought if he could turn it around. Maybe he could make something of himself, but I was never a huge Jay Gibbons or Tim Raines Jr. fan. But Daniel Cabrera was always one of those. If he could turn around, he could be something. Daniel Cabrera, I'm sure we got excited about that one game where he threw like eight shutout innings in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Tyler Wilson did that too. Yeah. All right. Next, uh, we have a tweet from Mike Boncero. I hope I got that right. At Bonsai777. I think big picture, it was when they were 63 and 63 with 36 games left to go and a chance to break the sub 500 skid and then finished 4 and 32. Yeah, 4 and 32, 2002, right? Right. Uh, He also adds here, but an individual play stands out to me. Jack Cust falling down five steps from home plate against the Yankees representing the winning run. They were, it wasn't the winning run. Right. It was going to be the tying run, but I completely agree because this was a play that Jack Cust um, basically was skirting back and forth between third and home. And if he wouldn't have fallen down, he would have scored on this really haphazard play by the Yankees. But lo and behold, the Yankees once again pulled the horseshoe out and rely on the misery and woe of Dark Ages Orioles baseball. I think that moment is beautiful because it really represents everything that happened to us during that period. Oh, sure. It's the aspect of we we watch that play and we say, this is why the Yankees are who they are, and this is why the Orioles are who they are. So I actually remember Jack Cust had like a, a monumental aspect when he first came up with the Orioles. I think it was like he had like six home runs in his first six games or something like that. He was Jake Fox before Jake Fox was Jake Fox. Yeah, he was really good, and everyone was getting crazy, but, you know, small sample size. Um, can't get too excited about it. So, all right. Um, next week goes into the I Need to See This Replay. Uh, this comes from Brian Thomas. Uh, it was Angel Stadium watching Jay Gibbons die for a ball, crash into the wall, and Vladimir Guerrero get his first in-the-park home run of his career while Gibbons went to the DL and ultimately retired. Again, not a big Jay Gibbons fan. Maybe it's just the sulliness of you know the whole steroid era, but eh, Jay Gibbons was Jay Gibbons. He's like Luke Scott for me. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, is that during the the, the era, before we really felt queasy about guys with huge arms jay gibbons fit the the mold right like he looked the part of a of a power hitting first baseman 
And did he? instead, he was Jay Gibbons. Did he? Like, yeah. I mean, he's big if you think about it now. But if you look at it compared to like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire, he wasn't that big compared to those guys. So, all right. We wanted it to be true. We wanted it to be true, but I think this is one of those situations where we would look at David Segui and be like, oh, David Segui is huge. I, I never saw Jay Gibbons as more than a, you know, Joey Rickard kind of impact player. Well, let's talk about uh, how our perceptions change. Sure. Ken Mack, who tweets at Ken underscore Mack 35, said that his low rock bottom moment was when I realized Larry Bigby wasn't the future. That's rough because whether or not you should have thought that Larry Bigby was, was the answer, this is the point. During the Dark Ages, we were sold on hope. Sure. That's all we had. Like We were the end of Rogue One, and we got nothing but disappointment and magic beans for 14 years. No, you're absolutely right. Every single year it was, well, this guy's going to be the next guy to get him out of the hole. This guy's going to be the next one to get him out of the hole. Oh, they're investing in the team. Now they're going to get out of the hole. Nothing worked out. Nothing panned out to the regard of every single first-round draft pick basically was a skunk. And um, that's no way for a franchise to basically succeed by having multiple first-round picks always skunk out. Womp womp. Yeah. Uh, next one. Uh, this comes from two rangs at flassen off. Really, Jake? I believe that's flacken off. Oh, I like flassen off better. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Uh, he writes as follows: uh, Going from a contender to a horribly run franchise with no bright future. Eh. Does that? Do the facts really bear that out? I mean, Scotty, no. is this is this franchise any more poorly run than it was in 2012? No, of course, it's about the same. Is the best way to describe it. I mean. Certainly, they had success, um, but that doesn't mean that it was a really well-run franchise. Um, The fact of the matter is, they were always a horribly-run franchise. They always had no bright future. We always kept saying, there is a small window here for them to succeed, and if they miss out on it, it's going to be a long time for them to basically be able to compete again. When you started trading around first-way draft picks for like Nelson Cruz, which worked out great for the Orioles for the one year, um, Abaldo Jimenez... Giovanni Gallardo, you know, that's a strategy that you're saying, okay, I'm not investing in the future. I want to win now. And if you don't win now, then it makes things look really ugly downstream. I, I don't see this as a row one franchise. I like that they won a few games. I like that they went for playoffs. But again, not a well-run franchise. All right, next one. Uh, this comes from, oh, this is a good one. This comes from Justin McGuire. Justin McGuire of the fantastic Locked on Orioles podcast and the Baseball by the Book podcast. Go listen right now. So this is a good we'll one. We'll be here. This is the 1988 0 for 21, which is hard to beat. And I think this is a perfect example of a low point for Orioles fans. And I think this is a great one. I think this comes into the historical aspect. I think we were a little too young for it. But I certainly think from a historical standpoint, if we were to write – a top five Orioles franchise moments. This has to be in the top five. And I would actually argue this is probably in the top three. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny to me because, again, you and I are of an age where we we missed this. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we, we were born, but we were a little young is the best way to describe it. But I fell in love with baseball basically right after this thing happened, right? So it's it's kind of a weird thing for me. We'll right. get into it later what our top five would be in terms of all Orioles franchise. All right, next, I want... This is definitely in top five, though. (laughs) Absolutely. Next, this is a tweet from Baltimore Sports and Life, at Be More Sports and Life. Uh, 1988, 
and the 021 start has to be number one. Okay, I got that. Number two would be opening day 1998 through 2011, where you knew going in that you wouldn't compete. I think that's a real good. Uh, I think that's a that that is top five for me also because getting into opening day where you're supposed to be full of hope and just knowing that it wasn't going to happen was terrible. Uh, I'm sorry. BSL goes on. Number three would be that 05 start uh, that was particularly depressing after the start. You know why I hate the 2005 season. Yeah, because you got married. The the Orioles led the AL East for 63 games. I got married, and then it was over. Yeah. Jerks. Jerks. Uh, next one I want to cover. This is from the general who apparently gives insurance um, <laughs> at Gray Chevy Van, and it was that fist fight in the dugout between Melvin Mora and Jay Payton was a pretty low moment. I don't really have a recollection of this. I have no memory of this, but I I looked it up, and it ha- well, it wasn't a fist fight. They had to be restrained from one another, but I I had no no memory of that. And I I mean, I watched those Orioles teams pretty close at that point. Yeah, maybe it's because we kind of pushed off Jay Payton from our memory banks. But no one messes with Melvin Mora. No one. <laughs> All right. This next one comes from Buck Showalter. No, not not that one. This is Buck Showalter V, at Buck Showalter V. Um, his response was as follows. My low point is managing this team and having Peter tell me I can't send Davis to the Ubaldo pothole. But I want to talk about the signing, Scotty. You and I hated the signing. We thought it was a bad call. But at the same time, it had a certain charm to it. This was the team spending a butt-ton of money, like a big boy, on someone who had had some level of success, but more importantly, was one of our guys. Yeah, I wouldn't have pulled the trigger, I wouldn't have done it, and it has certainly burned the Orioles, but in the moment, Scott, didn't it have some flair of excitement to it? We said, and people can go back and listen to our episodes because there's digital record, Mm. we said, we wish you would spend the money in a different fashion, but... If the money was only there for Davis and no other player, we are okay with the money being spent because there's no reason why, uh, you know, this team shouldn't put the money into Davis. It's better to invest in Davis than to invest in no money at all. So that was kind of stupid. Do you think that the signing of Chris Davis is a, it should be a rock bottom moment for some people's fandom? I can see it. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those aspects where this is, uh, a rock bottom moment uh, for the future is the best way to describe it. I think this will become the Albert Bell signing of this generation, where in the previous generation, it was the Albert Bell. In the previous generation to that, it was the Glenn Davis. In the previous generation to that, I would go with Reggie Jackson from the 70s. Okay. Um, so I would kind of put it in that kind of aspect where each generation has a player that the Orioles acquired that they hate. And... Those are the individuals that would make up my, as people love to do this, Mount Rushmore of most hated <laughs> Orioles signings. <laughs> All right. I have a trio of tweets. Okay. And I think we may disagree on this topic. Okay. Let me just start with a, a great listener, Tony Lescolette, uh, at BaltoBird2632. Gee, I wonder why those numbers. 30 to 3 was it for me. A close second is defending the O's uh, during the Bash Brother A's era as a kid. But let's stick with 30 to 3. Uh, next tweet, a Hingle McCringlebury 
uh, at Orioles Life. Oh, Hingle McCringleberry. Right. Uh, that time we took the interim tag off Dave Tremblay and promptly lost both ends of a double header. A little interesting wrinkle. And then uh, lastly, we have Andrew Boyd at underscore Andrew Boyd underscore Rangers putting up a 30 spot. Scotty, I say 30 to 3 doesn't even come close for Orioles fandom low point. What do you think? I would say that it's probably not in the top five, but it's certainly in the top 10 is the best way to describe it. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the point being made, which is you lost 30 to 3 immediately after naming a manager for the future. And that's the really big sticking point to me is when you name a manager and you're like, okay, this is the person that's going to lead us in the direction going forward and transform this team, especially a team that had been mired for under 500 for years upon years upon years now. And you're looking for that savior. And then that happens. You're just like, it's not going to get better in one day, not even one day. In six hours, <laughs> hope is crushed in your hand. It's kind of like opening day where you go to each opening day and you're just like, all right, things are going to change. And then that happens. You're just like, it's over. It's over just like that. Okay. I, I, I feel you. But did you honestly think Dave Tremblay was the way forward? You know what? I would say that I, I didn't think Dave Tremblay was going to be the guy, but I thought that if he could make the direction you know, a little bit closer, maybe another guy would make take it a little bit further. This is why I wish we had the podcast back yeah. then. I was a Dave Tremblay defender, and here's why. Because the material he had to work with with such crap mm-hmm. that even though he wasn't really a major league manager, what happened on the field was not his fault. You're right. I mean, right? He, he didn't have any good players like Brian Roberts, Melvin Mora. Nobody good. Nobody at all. That was not a good team he had to work with. Look, it was it, not. It was a team that got beat 30-3. to three. It, it certainly wasn't a great team, but it wasn't as bad as Dave Tremblay made that team. I, okay. But I thought I was They at, should have been easily able to put up 78 wins one season. I was at the 33, uh, 30 to 3 game. In fact, that was the first game that my oldest child went to. She was five weeks old, and we were sitting right behind the screen. No wonder she did get axed out a little bit now. <laughs> it was an awful <laughs> experience. But I have to tell you, being there in person, after a while, you just gave in to the hopelessness. Sure. And it, like, it was, it was, um, strangely satisfying to lean into the suck yeah like the last grand slam and i say last because there were more than one Mm -hmm. the last grand slam the crowd such as it was the orioles fans actually cheered at that point we were we were down to see how bad it would get see i this is an interesting scenario because i think we've talked about this before and baltimore orioles fans had this tendency to root for awful things yeah. And I'm really wondering if this is an issue with Baltimore in general in terms of just saying, you know what, we're going to admit that we're pretty much a terrible, um, you know, aspect in terms of being a sports team or a city. And we're just going to root for terrible things like if that happens in Philadelphia. You're getting booed. Batteries are, batteries. Getting, batteries are coming on the field. Same thing with the Yankees. Like you're getting booed and everything like that. In Baltimore, it's like you're going to get booed. But eventually it's going to get so bad that it's going to turn into a comedy of errors and we're going to cheer this comedy of errors. Are you not entertained? Look, this is not Shakespearean, okay? <laughs> so I would say that we're going to do our next podcast and I am a pentameter. We're going to take a lot of long time. We're going to have to get Sam and Alamon <laughs> on the phone. A lot of takes. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, 
I, it's, it's the hope aspect. And again, from a rock bottom standpoint, if we're focused on rock bottom, we're not just talking about bad moments, but we're talking about rock bottom. There's nothing more rock bottom than saying, here's how we're going to move into the future and then immediately being buried into the earth. Okay. I understand that argument. I still don't buy it, but I... I That's because you're still a Dave Tremblay fan, okay? <laughs> deep, deep down, I just want Dave. Deep down, you're a Dave Tremblay fan. It was the cigar. It, it, I totally understand it was the cigar. Uh, this is another one I want to follow up on. 2005. This one comes from Big Time Capitals Boy, at Baltimore underscore chop. 2005 was the first year I really, truly followed the Orioles, where the sun every day after school kind of had hope that Palmero drug test was the lowest of lows. Yes, this is a great bad moment that is definitely rock bottom. 2005, as you pointed out, for Orioles fans, not Jake English, was a really bad, bad year. It started off so good. And then we've talked about this before. We got close to the All-Star game, and you knew things were starting to get bad. And you're just like, well, maybe they'll go into the All-Star break. They'll catch their breath, and they'll come out of it, and they'll do okay. And it never happened. And Palmero got popped. And then the acquisitions came of like, well, it wasn't me. It was Miggy who was giving me the B12 shot. And everything went to heck in a handbasket there. So 2005 turned into a, they're finally going to break 500. And maybe they'll have a chance to get into the playoffs for the first time in a long time. To no, this is the same bad team that we've seen for years upon years. It was such a tease because we were so surprised by it. But then it kept happening. Yep. Like, they, they were in first place for 63 games. That's not nothing. No. Right? Like, ESPN had to pay attention to the Orioles. And the whole talk of the league was, oh, my gosh, the upstart Orioles. And then we had the starting middle infield in the 2005 All-Star game. Everything was coming up Millhouse, and then it fell off so precipitously. It was terrible. Yeah, you look at the end of that season in terms of August and September, and you will not find a worst end of a season for any major league baseball team. All right. Next one. This comes from dear friend of the program, Chris Maurer. And I completely agree with him. And to this be a rock bottom moment, he tweets as follows. When at B morons didn't put out their nickname episode, I will point out that since the B Baltimoreans have stopped podcasting and stopped putting out their nickname episode, the Orioles to a certain regard, their magic has faded away. Now, that doesn't mean that the Orioles haven't played okay baseball at a time, but they haven't had those magical seasons like we have seen in 2012, 2013, and 2014. No je ne sais quoi. No je ne sais quoi. So, if anybody wants to go ahead and blame someone, go ahead and contact Alan Smith. Go ahead and contact Sam Dingman. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and make sure that Scotty's going to read out their home address. I'll read out their home address, and I'll actually give you their phone number, too. Please contact me at scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Uh, I will provide you their phone number so you can text them personally and um, guilt them in to coming back and uh, restoring the golden age of Orioles baseball. That is the most hateful, aggressive love we've ever given out. Yes. Uh, this next tweet comes out from James Calvin, who tweets at James R. Calvin. Uh, I was sad to see the pies stop. Interesting tweet. And the reason I selected this is not because the pies. Look, I get that. Ha, 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 ha. But it is interesting to me to think about the fun dying. Right? Because to me, that's what the pies represent. Baseball was fun. Yeah, we were winning, but in every terrible season, I feel like there was a moment, a series, you know, a homestand, 
where you're just like, God, this isn't even fun anymore. You Can know, this you guys stop. This gives me a great idea, by the way, for a future thing. I'm listening. It, we should definitely do an American Pie um, kind of shtick. I've already got that written. Let's talk okay. about it later. All right, we can do that. This will be the day the fun dies. Oh no, I've got, I've got like three fourths of that song written. Is it Don't. Weird Al style? It's yeah. Okay, it's good. Pretty good. Um. Okay. Next week comes from Tub Twins. You can follow him at it. So Conte Hoos. Uh, whatever. One year ago today. Uh, Michael Long and I went to O's at Yankees to celebrate my birthday. O's were 31 and 29, got beat 16 and 3, got berated by the Bleacher Creatures, dropped below 500. Shortly after the losing hasn't stopped since. Tough birthday. All right. I, I get this, and this is a personal rock bottom moment, but this is not an Orioles rock bottom moment, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not great. I don't know. I feel like if you go out somewhere and you're, by this way, this is BSR contributor Tejas. Um, if you if you go somewhere, if you make the effort to go watch the Orioles elsewhere and they're a laughing stock and the fans that you're in the place that you're at uh mock you because of it, that's an Orioles moment. I think you should be used to mocking if you've been a, a long enough Orioles fan. That's all right, you got me there. All right, so a little bit more historical perspective. Um this tweet is uh watching our favorite players go elsewhere. Buckle up, here it comes again. This comes from Zoom Fishy. It's when Belanger went to Los Angeles. This is a good one. This is a good historical one. But again, I would not put it into the category of low Orioles moments. I just consider this to be, this is a, ugh. This would be like Nelson Cruz going to the Mariners or Mussina going to the Yankees. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, isn't that a low point? No. That's a, that's a gut wrench, but it's not a low moment. Okay. All right, all right. That's not a rock bottom moment. A rock bottom moment is a soul crushing experience that you have spent years upon years trying to dig yourself out of. All right, so Adam at Zoom Fishy uh, gave us another one. I'm gonna I'm gonna spare you the coin or the coin sound, Scott. Okay. So bleeping Kiko Garcia and Glenn Davis. Yeah. Well, buckle up again, Orioles fans, because you're about to see some other trades, and you know what? Some of them may not work out. Is it fair to call the Glenn Davis trade and resulting season a low uh, rock bottom moment in Oriole fandom? No, it's, again, one of those moments that we'll talk about and say that was a generational mistake. But it's the same kind of generational mistake that, you know, the Mariners talk about with like Adam Jones for Eric Bedard. But it's not a rock bottom moment for the organization and or the franchise. All right, let's bring this one home. Uh, this one comes to us from JT Guads at Guadzilla, a uh, friend of the program. I watched the last game of that Royals-Orioles series in a classroom at U Chicago on a massive pull-down uh, projection screen in a lecture hall. First time I really cried as an Orioles fan. JT, this one hits at my heart. Look, when we started talking about this, many of my friends, and <clears throat> especially my wife, quote-unquote, fondly remembered my shouting uh, at a Boston fan one particular day when a section of roaches had taken over a section of Canyon Yards and had not been particularly gracious guests. I believe the episode peaked with me suggesting, in a very gentlemanly fashion, that if this good sir uh, who refused to sit down weren't so fat, we wouldn't have a problem. Yes, there may have been alcohol involved. It was not a good look for me, but it was not my low point as an Orioles fan. 
In that instance, sure, I was pissed with the team. I was tired of losing. I was tired of the fact that the losing translated into wide swaths of seats being available for opposing fans whose behavior could not be kept in check by the few Orioles fans who decided to show up for the latest embarrassment. The fat Boston fan was a valve for my frustration. But that wasn't the worst that it's ever been. My rock bottom as an Orioles fan was the final game of the 2014 ALCS. And that moment, I look back on it as the most broken I've been as an Orioles fan. And we talked about this experience in episode 99.5. This is the infamous summer song incident, if you will. Go ahead. You are timely with that button. Uh, on the soundboard whenever I choose to put it up. With the Orioles down 3-0 in the ALCS, it was clear that they had been outclassed by the Kansas City Royals. Nothing was falling the Orioles' way. Their bats had gone silent, and they were cold right when they were needed the most. And for the first time in 31 years, I was about to witness a defeat that had real meaning. None of the other terrible losses I had heretofore experienced really mattered. 30-3? to Yes, I was there with my baby. Embarrassing. Manny being carted off with a knee injury? Yeah, gut-wrenching. But this was a loss that would deny the Orioles a chance to move on to the World Series. Their last World Series appearance took place the year that I was born. This was possibly history in the making. And this loss was going to take it all away. Who knew how long it would take us just to get back to this moment? And by the way, Orioles fans, four years later, that has borne itself out. It was simply too much for me to handle. The deciding game four was scheduled for a weekday afternoon, and I studiously avoided the game. I didn't watch. I didn't listen, as Scott berated me for in episode 99.5. I turned off my social media alerts. I couldn't bring myself to come anywhere near the crushing blow that I knew was coming. I was a defeated sports fan, broken, and when the worst came, I deserted them. After having stuck with them for 14 awful years, I couldn't bear to look. And so, yeah, the cumulative effect of the 2018 loss is immense. But I don't think I'll look back at this season and feel anywhere near as close to miserable as I did on that day and in the days that followed. The new Dark Ages are absolutely going to suck. I know that. But I also know what Dark Ages feel like. What I did not know in that moment was the joy that Icarus felt just before his wings of wax were melted. And that is what made the 2014 ALCS defeats so awful. Not how far there was to fall, but from what height? Okay. I mean, you're absolutely right. 2014 ALCS was an awful, awful experience because there was such a high going into that, that series, and then it crashed down with you know various bloop singles. But I come back to the point of it wasn't the lowest of lows. It wasn't a rock-bottom moment. But in reality... For the Orioles during this stretch, it truly was eventually their rock bottom moment. They've never been able to get back to that plateau. It, everything has basically been that is the highest that we've gone, and now we basically have rolled down all the way into the valley, and now we have to scrape all the way up, like you know, you know, you know, someone from Greek mythology pushing up the boulder. I still say this is not the rock bottom moment. There's an obvious rock bottom moment within each generation that we have been part of as, you know, kids and everything. Um, I, I think the one that we can point to in the 1990s has to be 
the Jeffrey Mayer incident in 1996 has to be an obvious rock moment, bottom moment, because this is a situation where we as Orioles fans in general have now come to question every aspect of whether Major League Baseball is against us or not. The fact that a fan reached over, caught a ball that Tony Tarasco was going to catch, and then was heralded and celebrated by basically rewarding this individual with tickets to the next game is an infuriating aspect, not just for the Baltimore fan that basically is this whole aspect of, you know, we're going to go out there and do the right thing, and we're going to go to work every single day. And instead, this is a person that obviously cheated and is rewarded for the process. So as a kid myself um, and a teenager, this is infuriating to me and really helped me to question the aspect of, if this is the way baseball is going to be, do the Orioles ever have a chance? And is life fair? And is life fair? So there is no more philosophical question that is more rock bottom than that. And that truly is a rock bottom moment for any individual that is questioning the sanctity of is life fair as a teenager. (laughs) So that's one moment that's really bad. Then there's the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages has a plethora of really bad um, moments. And we've gone through a bunch of them at this time. But I would say there's no worse moment that I really question the aspect of, are the Orioles ever going to get out of it, than Steve Beckler. And Steve Beckler, in 2003, passed away at Orioles spring training due to an ephedra overdose at Orioles spring training. And it was at that point that I said to myself, what is going on with the Orioles right now? Why can't they even know what's going on with their players? This is obviously a substance that has gone under FDA scrutiny for years. And it was after that that Ephedra was actually fully outbanned. But the fact of the matter is the Orioles basically came so haphazard in the way their prospects and their organization was being run that we had no clue what was going on. And there was a lot of questions at that time specifically about what was rifling through the Orioles organization at the time. And certainly, I think that's also one of the reasons why the Orioles became under the scope in terms of, oh, I don't know, players like Jay Gibbons and Larry Bigby about what is going through the Orioles clubhouse right now that really shouldn't be going through the Orioles clubhouse. So I think it was B12. It, it could have been B12. But I think that is truly the aspect of the lowest of low is not only is your team bad, but your team is bad and doing it in an illegal fashion. Out and, of control. And also putting people's lives at risk. And in this instance, killing an individual because you had no control of your clubhouse and or organization. So that's truly a low of low moment. And I understand where you're coming from, from 2014. Yes, it was a really sad instance. In 2012, there was a really sad instance too with game one, which we've talked about in this podcast too. But I wouldn't say they were low moments. They were frustrating moments and they were rip your hair out moments. But the point of the matter was the Orioles had some really magical times during those seasons and they fully outweighed the aspect of whether or not they succeeded or not in the playoffs. But with that, I'm going to contradict myself and say top five bottom moments. So we talked about the aspect of 0 and 21. I think this is a obvious one for top five. All right, so are you starting at your five and moving backward to one? I'm going to label them all out because I think they're all so bad 
that they have to be here. Go ahead. Which one of yours? No, no. I was going to say, I have five. You have five. How do you want to do this? Uh, I'll give you that one. We'll, we'll basically say uh, 0 for 21 was basically one of mine. What, what was one of yours? All right. My top five, my, okay. my number five okay. was the Matt Hobgood signing. Okay. Because it was throwing away a top pick when we couldn't afford it the most. Okay. And everybody knew it was a crap move. Sure. Um, I think we've got to go back and take a look at 1969. 1969. Deep cut. Yeah, with the Orioles and Mets. The Orioles going in as the expected favorites and expecting to dominate the Mets and then kind of, you know, losing to them. I think that's a rock bottom moment where the Orioles were on a complete high for the 60s. And, you know, <laughs> literally. No pun intended. No pun intended. But, you know, this was a moment that the Orioles could have established themselves as, you know, a Cardinals or a Yankees dynasty, basically. And they were never able to do that. Um, so I consider 69 to be a bottom point for Orioles fans. That's your number four after uh, 0 and 21? Yeah, that's going to be my number four. All right. My, my number four, a little unfair. Sure. But for what it represented. My number four was the era and the signing of Mark Teixeira. Sure. And here's why. There was no reason for him to come to the Orioles. And I do not blame him in any way, shape, or form for not taking a hometown discount to come to the Orioles. Mm -hmm. But during that whole time, all we wanted was the Orioles to be a real team. Sure. And to make a real play for a real player. Mm -hmm. And to build around a real player. And we all knew it wasn't going to happen. We all knew that we were playing with Confederate money. The Orioles ended up, I think, offering 187 for seven years or something crazy like that. And it just wasn't good enough. And we all knew it wasn't good enough. It was really awful to watch the Orioles knowing that they had a losing hand and being frustrated, not only that they couldn't win with that losing hand, but being frustrated that the that the chips were stacked against them just from the start. That whole situation was incredibly frustrating. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you another one. And I think it's actually somewhat reminisce of where we stand right now. And we are in 1988 now, so we're definitely in really bad Orioles territory. And it's the Orioles letting go of Eddie Murray mm -hmm. and basically going into the aspect of we're not going to stand up for our player. We're going to go ahead and let the somewhat racial bias that basically was prejudiced against Eddie Murray basically run rampant and just basically say, nope, we're going to go ahead and just let that be and let the player take care of it. And certainly Eddie was at fault for certain aspects of the way he, ways he could have conducted himself with the media. But ownership did him no favors in this regard. And as much as we like to kind of pick and poke at the Angelos family, certainly if that were to happen, uh, the Angelos family would immediately step in and basically go to any media outlet and say, you're not going to talk about our player in that regard. So if you're going to do that, we're going to revoke your media membership and uh, we're going to put you to AM radio where we can't hear you <laughs> at nighttime. I wholeheartedly agree. Scotty, my three through one are boring because we've already talked about them. Can I can I run through those three and then let you talk? Sure, absolutely. My number three is Jeffrey Mayer. I think you spoke beautifully on that. Sure. My number two was the 2015 drop-off, which was gut-wrenching for me. Sure. Caught me by surprise, and I, I made the mistake of hoping. And then my number one we just discussed, which is 2015 ALCS. So that that's what I got. My my Those are my bottom five. Okay. Um, my next one is a more recent one. And it's got to be the situation where the Orioles are playing in a completely empty stadium. 
And this isn't so much an aspect where it's a rock-bottom moment for the franchise, but it's a rock-bottom moment for the community in general, of which the Orioles are an ingrained part. Right, and it's the aspect of, yeah, the game went on, but the taint that it put on the general community I still think is felt to this day. And I, I still feel like that is a situation where if we look back about you know, how everything went down in Baltimore City with the riots and then, you know, the Orioles having to keep people in the stands and not let them go into the city. Um, And the general fear now of going downtown is a rock bottom moment for the Baltimore community slash Orioles who are a part of it. So that is my number two moment. These are all phenomenal. I can't even imagine what number one is for you. Do you have another one? No, I I just ran through my three because gotcha. I'm I'm too busy listening to you. All right, so my last one is a sentimental one, and again, it's before my time, but mine's going to be Game Seven, 1979 World Series. Orioles are up three to two going into Game Six, coming home for Game Six and Game Seven uh, at Memorial Stadium. Uh, everyone in Baltimore basically is like they're going to come back, they're going to win it at home, and we're going to have a celebration, and that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the sting of looking back at 71 when they lost again to the Pirates and then also looking back at 69 is a question that has to loom with Orioles fans forever of saying, if we would have pulled off those three World Series victories, and again, that's not necessarily saying that was going to happen, but if they could have pulled off 69 where they were favorites, 71 where it was pretty much even split, and then 79 when they had a 3-2 to two lead, if this team would have had six World Series championships— would this been called a baseball town more so than it would have been a football town? That's a really good question. That's a really good question, particularly, you know, because that's not too distant from the time in which the Colts decided they couldn't make it in this town. Correct. So if you look at 79 and then you said the Orioles won 79 and they won 83, would it have been a situation where the Orioles would have said, you know, we're going to basically dominate going forward and we're going to basically be a baseball town and we're going to be similar to a team like the Cardinals who are going to always be, you know, a top 15 payroll team and we're always going to be a contender out there. And we may not win every single season. We're always going to put together a winning roster and invest in this. And instead, uh, we've certainly become more of a, well, we put a baseball team out there, but we're not necessarily a baseball town anymore. Yeah, I think I think it is a fair question. Man, you were way better at picking uh, meaningful moments than I was. Well, what can I say? It's it's that historical context that I'm good at. I mean, you wouldn't have anything like that from political science. Oh, wait. How did the stat guy out-emote the emotional side of this podcast? It's a weird season, everybody. It is a weird, 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 weird season. season. All right. Anything else to add to this? No, I think I think we've said far too much about the pain of being an Orioles fan. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, do a little uh, fantasy boss and see who won this week. Jake, I'm sorry, 
but I won the either or this week. Here's the thing. Yeah. I don't like losing, but I've kind of missed this theme song. I, I know you have. This is a, this is a, you know, it gets in your mind and you just sing it every day long. So Jake, my category last week was, will the Orioles have more victories or 25 man roster moves? I picked roster moves. The Orioles had five roster moves on their 25 man roster and they only won two games. Jake, your category last week was, will the Orioles home runs be more for the relievers or for the hitters? And you said the relievers will give up more. They gave up three. The hitters whacked it out of the park last week with five. That seems un- unimaginable, well, incomprehensible. They, they were in the Thunderdome this weekend in Toronto. <laughs> the Thunderdome. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe I lost this week. Although I was sure that you were going to click because clearly wins you always bet against. Of course. But uh, I thought I thought that I could trust our relievers to uh, to give up more runs. All right. So I, I need to pick something that is is a little more difficult sure. at this point. Look, I'm not going to give you just whether or not the Orioles are going to lose. They're, they're, they're going to lose. Right. So I think that at this point, I need to I need to get a little more creative, all right? And I need to uh, dig deep. So, Scotty, you may push this week okay? because I'm digging deep. My question to you is, will there be more games impacted, and you and I are going to have to agree before we record the next podcast, what impacted truly means. Okay. Will this team be impacted more by Tootplan or by failed bunt attempts? Uh, I'm going to go with Tootplan. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go with Tootplan. I'm thinking specifically, of course, about Craig Gentry on both ends of this, failing to execute on the suicide squeeze the other night and then famously you know, getting picked off the sure. center base. Uh, Jake, I'm going to go with a simpler one for you. All right. I'm going to go with, Jake, who is going to have more hits this week? The Orioles infield or the Orioles outfield? Who is going to have more hits this week? The Orioles infield or the Orioles outfield? All right. So this is trouble because Manny Machado is sick. Yes. So how many games is Manny Machado going to be out? Because your other infielders are Jonathan Scope, who's having a wretched season. Chris did. Never mind. Um. Jace Peterson. Jace Peterson and Danny Valencia. Yes. But if you go to the outfield, yes. I feel like Trey Mancini is coming out of it. However, with less playing time for Chris Davis, Trey Mancini may be brought into the infield. He may be. See, this is a problem. <laughs> and then you have Adam Jones and, you know, the other guys, Rickard and Gentry and the rest. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. You know what? I'm going to say the infield. Okay. Does the infield uh, include the catching position? No, it doesn't. Oh damn! I shouldn't ask. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the infield, and only because I think Mancini is gonna play enough games in the infield to to take them over the edge. Okay, what would you have picked? Uh, I would probably pick outfield. Okay, Mancini, Jones, and the rest. Yeah. All right, now I don't feel so good about it. All right. <laughs> I may I may be way behind by the time next week rolls around. <laughs> well, we'll find out if Jake has more hits in the infield or whether the outfield did better. So those are our Fantasy Boss Either Or segments. Folks, let us know what kind of categories we should be talking about on the next podcast. We are looking for suggestions. Um, we are obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel. I, I, look, I, I'm liking my categories. They're making you think, which is difficult. So Think, cry, one of the two. One of the two. All right, Jake, let's find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly.
That's right. It's time again for the good, for the bad, and for the ugly. Scotty, you know, we, we skipped GBU last week. Yeah, it was raining. <laughs> it was. It was raining really hard. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get started this week. Okay. And my good, I cannot believe I'm saying this, my good is Danny Valencia. Danny Valencia has actually been pretty decent this season. Here's my reason okay. for Danny Valencia being the good. Scott, is it possible? Is it possible that come July 31st, Danny Valencia may be an asset that the Orioles can trade away to a club that just needs a little bit extra to make that playoff push in the fact that we might put some piece together in the minors or something? Basically, my question is, Will Danny Valencia bring value to the point where we don't have to rebuild that particular piece? Even if he brings us an org soldier, isn't that a plus for this organization? I think Danny Valencia is going to bring back a utility infielder, and I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Hey, the better he does, the better chance we Anything have Anything to, to sp- eliminate Luis Sardinas from our 40-man roster, I'm all for. But yes, Danny Valencia is a really interesting name. Um... He's not quite being Steve Pierce of old, um, but he still has some value out there for certain teams in a limited sample size. He's lowered expectations, Steve Pierce. Yes, there you go. Um, but yeah, Danny Valencia, like this one, do think he has a very, very small amount of trade value. But needless to say, the Orioles need org soldiers right now. Great. Not negative value is what what amounts for good this week. Absolutely. Uh, mine's going to go to Dylan Bundy, who pitched a nice game this past week. Seven innings plus, uh, no runs, um, not a great strikeout line at six, 6.43 Ks per nine, uh, but nice ground ball rate, 52.6%. Um, again, Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman are doing a pretty decent job, all things considering, and... I wouldn't say that they Dylan Bundy is doing as well as he did at the very beginning of the season, but Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman are being that number two, number three, keeping the games tight and just waiting for the offense to explode, and the offense has not exploded. Can I give an honorable mention? Sure. I think Hess had a pretty decent week, and he keeps hanging around. Yeah, you just mentioned Dylan Bundy and, and Kevin Gossman as being your sure. maybe two, three, three, four guy. If Hess can be a five sure. in this league— that is a huge coup for the Orioles. Sure, I think David Hess has that Michael Gonzalez element to him right now, and I don't think he's ever going to be great. But even if he can post, you know, a 500 win loss record, I'm okay with that. If he can post a, we'll call it 4.3 to 4.5 ERA, I'll take that in a heartbeat for how much we're going to be paid for him. I like David Hess. I like what I see from him. Um, this is one of the reasons why when we were talking earlier, I said we should be bringing up David Hess over Chris Tillman because we need to see who could potentially make it in this league. And so far, David has to show me that he could potentially be a fifth starter. And if he's not a fifth starter, then he could come up periodically with his options and be a spot starter if and when he is needed. Because the Norfolk shuttle is exactly what this team needs. Right. So again, David Hess is, um, doing a nice enough job where Chris Tillman is no longer a conversation piece, which is exactly how it should be. All right, let's move to bad, but let's not leave the starting rotation. Okay, I'm talking Alex Cobb. Okay. Look, this is getting ridiculous. I know that he didn't have a spring training, and I get all that. But Alex Cobb needs to get himself together. 
He's got a four-year contract with the Baltimore Orioles, and I can't handle another Abaldo Jimenez. Alex Cobb, again, this week, got shelled. Look, I was out mowing the grass for most of that game on Sunday and came back and said, oh my gosh, it's 9-1, to one. what happened? And then the camera kept panning over to the, the dugout, and there was Alex Cobb. Oh, that's what happened. Alex Cobb needs to get this figured out in a hurry. If nothing else happens in 2018, I need Alex Cobb to start pitching like a major league pitcher. And not just every once in a while. I mean like on the regs. Because he's going to be pitching for the Orioles for the next three years. And I hope at some point that they can rebuild to the point at which maybe the end of his contract is another useful piece of pitching. But until then, I'm seeing nothing. And I don't like it. That's bad. Sure. I mean... Earlier this week, though, he did post a six innings pitched with 10.5 Ks per nine. Uh, He also posted a 1.5 ERA uh, and a game score of 73. Yeah, and when that's not an outlier, I'll be really excited about it. Uh, In previous start, he had a 53 game score, one before that 43, 40, 62, 47. Again, you're absolutely right. Sunday's game, absolutely brutal. But I do think, to a certain regard, Alex Cobb has turned the corner. I mean, I look at the BABIP that was there for Sunday's game. 600 BABIP. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was a bad game. But we'll, we'll, let's just chalk it up to it was a really bad game, and we're going to move on from it. Can we agree on this? Sure. He needs to get out of Brian Mattis' Oh, there's number. totally. No question about it. He gets out of Brian Mattis's number, I'll feel a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. No, no argument here whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to go into Brad Brock, um, who continually just shoots himself in the foot and that loss earlier this week to the Blue Jays, oof, oof. Brad Brock, um, for an individual that was supposed to have trade value going into the, this August, no longer has that trade value. You know, maybe we're looking at it wrong. Maybe it's that he, he doesn't have trade value. Maybe it's that he has too much loyalty. Mm. See, he doesn't want to get traded away, Scott. He wants to spend all season with the Baltimore Orioles. Potentially. All right, my ugly... Uh, Look, anybody could have been ugly this week, right? The Orioles are losing left and right, and there are lots of reasons why. But I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into something a little less obvious. My ugly this week is Orioles roster moves. Hey, that's not fair. Just because they won me fantasy boss doesn't mean you need to put them (laughs) as an ugly. Tanner Scott went to the minors. Yeah, he was the move for Darren O'Day. And look, I get it. He's got options, right? I get all that. But to be honest with you, when you look at the bullpen. Isn't Tanner Scott one of the guys that you want to see pitching in the majors? It is. Isn't he the piece that you want to say, this is a guy who has a chance to start for us? Or this is a guy who has a chance to be the next Miguel Castro so that we can try the Miguel Castro starts experience. Or this is a high-arm, left-handed guy that can replace a Zach Britton. Tanner Scott is the guy that should be getting the audition at the major league level in a season in which it's June, and you don't have 20 wins. There is nothing left to lose. How can you let Tanner Scott waste away in the minors? I guess my question is, who would you have put down into the minors instead of Tanner Scott? And there's one obvious name in my mind. It's a fair question. I think that the obvious choice would have been Pedro Araujo. Nope, I disagree. Mike Wright. Mike Wright would have been the obvious name. It, Pedro Rojo basically is that, you know, rule five player that you want to try to keep. Sure. Mike Wright is Mike Wright. I mean, 
are we going to continue to play this game where Mike Wright has to stay in the roster and he doesn't really do anything different? At most, he is an innings eater right now. But if you've got Miguel Castro, who's going to continue to be in the bullpen, why do you need to have Mike Wright? Mike Wright is not necessary anymore. And nobody's going to take him off waivers. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. So I completely agree with you. It's really frustrating to see Tanner Scott optioned. Um, And it's also really frustrating because it's like, well, when does he get to come back up again? And the most obvious answer is Mike Wright needs to be designated for assignment as soon as possible so that he can get back up here. Did you see that eventually Buckshaw Walter wants to go with eight relievers? I did. Um, You know the roster move for that, right? I I do. Manny Machado gets traded. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to happen in... Look, Mike Wright does not belong to be on a 25-man Major League Baseball roster. It's as simple as that. And that's not me being mean to Mike Wright. And Mike Wright hasn't been terrible recently. But, again, you're looking forward to the future. Mike Wright is not your future. He's a mop-up guy. Right. Mike Wright's not your future. Tanner Scott potentially could be your future. Yeah, very frustrating. Uh, My ugly for the week is going to go to someone else that could potentially be the future, and that would be Jonathan Scope, who is posting some abysmal numbers so far this season. Um, But he's posting a five-weighted runs created plus um, this week. Um, Jonathan Scope, um, what can you say besides as much as we like to rail on Chris Davis having an absolutely terrible season, I think the Jonathan Scope um, fall apart this season has been a, a greater surprise. I mean, you're going from a player that had a 121 rated rated runs created plus last season to 65. The last time he posted those numbers was in 2014. We raised the question then of, hey, can Jonathan Scope even be a decent second baseman, or do we need to go out and basically re-sign, you know, a Brian Roberts going into the 2014 season? Um, yeah, Jonathan Scope needs to figure it out. He needs to get it together. Because if, you know, he is going to be part of the future, you want to see that now so that you can offer him a contract and maybe make him a franchise player going forward. Right now, there's nothing that you see right now that makes you think, yep, he could be a franchise player. He could be a decent player, but not a franchise player. So that's disappointing. All right. Blowing the save. All right, Jake. We've got to admit the elephant in the room. The Washington Capitals, not the Baltimore Capitals, won the Stanley Cup this week. And uh, there's been some great, great social media out there with uh, the Capitals going around various portions of D.C. um, Having a good time, as it were, and uh, in celebrating their championship. So, Jake, let me ask you this question. If the Baltimore Orioles were to win a championship, where would you want to see them in Baltimore? And what would you want to see them doing celebrating their championship? Yeah, the thing is, though, is that there is a different celebration in hockey than there is in baseball. There's no tradition like sleeping with the Stanley Cup or doing keg stands out of the Stanley. First of all, if you're not watching what's going on with Alex Ovechkin, you're missing out on pure joy. Yeah. Like I'm not a hockey guy and you know, I'm a little resentful as a, as a Baltimore sports fan that lived in the DC area for a long time in, in people, you know, enjoying too much, but 
That's awesome. I don't know if they have the same thing in Baltimore. What I will say is this. Caps fans, enjoy the crap out of this. I am jealous because this is all I want for my Baltimore Orioles. And it's nice to see a long-suffering fan base finally get to relish one. And it's a long-suffering fan base that has lost really heartbreaking playoff series to a team from Pittsburgh. So I, I, I can understand that bit. But I, I think, Scotty, what, what I focus on is how would I be if the Orioles won? I had to give people off from work mm-hmm. this week because they're going to the parade. And when they meekly walked in and asked about it, I was like, go, do it. Who knows when this will yeah, happen again? Who knows again? when this will happen again? Yeah, I understand that. I, I just feel like, you know, if we look back at this current team, I feel like a group of Adam Jones, Darren O'Day, and Jonathan Scope could really have some hijinks within Baltimore and really have a good time. Yeah, but again, think back. God, think back to the 2014 that 2014 team. Tommy Hunter. Tommy walk, Hunter. Tommy Hunter just walking through Federal Hill. You know, he goes and maybe he goes. With and, 40 Bud Lights in his arms. No, it's not even that. It would be, if you look at the World Series trophy, it's, you know, the 30 teams basically sure. with their flags. flags. Yeah. I'm thinking Tommy Hunter goes out, gets a hot glue gun, goes and gets like a plastic mold, puts it in there, and then basically fills it with Bud Lights. And he walks around basically drinking out of this, basically, you know, silo basically of just drinking beer straight through fed hill uh straight through you know all portions of baltimore as best he can um i think it'd be a great time well my my hats are off to the caps fans uh let me tell you this scotty i i think that the next oriole to hoist a trophy in the way that alex ovechkin has done this week Mm -hmm. is probably not even born yet yeah i think you're right and he's probably in a different country well, if, if, if the philosophies have changed by that point. That is the most depressing podcast we have ever recorded. Might be the longest one, too. And that's our show. Remember that you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Hate mail can be directed to scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that... Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Seriously, I'd like to see them win at least a few games. Meh. Let's get, let's get to at least 60. Meh. Meh. Lean into the suck, Scotty. Meh. It's, right all, now, it's all sticky. They're on pace to lose 114 games. It's not going to happen. Just lean in. They're going to win the rest of them. It's over.
Go home. Go.